0: Guys, if uh, if you joined us during when Zion was only online church on YouTube, you might recognize my face, because <laughs> I was the opening of each YouTube video every single week for a while. And I was—I that wasn't that wasn't the plan. I didn't think that was going to happen. So I'm glad to be here in person with you guys. Hi to everyone who's joining us online. I want to start off this morning by telling you guys a story. So I want to tell you guys a story about my friend, Tim. So I have a friend named Tim, tall, skinny kid. He grew up in the projects. His parents were always working. He had one brother. But he had this great group of cousins. There was like six or eight of them. I don't even know. But he grew up with them, and they were so close. It was like they were like brothers and sisters. So Tim gets to high school, and he becomes a Christian. And I kind of know him then, should I hold this further back? I kind of know him then, but not too well. But from what I heard, he was on fire for Jesus. He was on fire. Tim was like 16 years old, but he was talking about Jesus to everyone that he knew, all his friends. He had a lot of passion. He even learned to play guitar, and he started this like little Christian band. And, uh, I mean, that's pretty cool, right? When you're 16, this guy plays guitar. He has a band, and all his friends come, and they invite other people. They hear him play, and he shares the gospel with them. So he had so much passion. Fast forward, now we're in our 20s. I lose touch with him for a little bit, but we reconnect. I start going to the church that he goes to. And I could tell Tim's uh, enthusiasm, it's dampened a little. It's dampened. He's a little bit more sober, he's realized that the church isn't perfect and Christian leaders still sin. So he's not as excited, he still plays guitar, he plays for worship, and he's serving in leadership, Uh, but he's just not as outgoing as he used to be. So I started attending the church, and then one day we find out that one of his cousins got hit by a car, and it was a really bad accident. And his cousin was in the hospital, he was in a coma, so Tim tells us this. So, of course, as the church, we start praying. We start praying for Tim's cousin, asking God, you know, can you wake him up? And praise God, he wakes up. But the doctors say that there's, there's no brain activity, that he was breathing, but he was only breathing because he was supported by a ventilator. And that even though he, he seems to be alive, he's really just in a vegetative state. Now, Tim's family is, they're not Christians. His cousins are not Christians. They take the news, and they don't believe this is true. They don't think think Tim's cousin is gone. They, They think, no, he blinks when I talk to him. He moves his eyes. He's still there. So Tim, Tim knows the Lord, right? Tim knows the Lord, so he brings it to the church again. He updates us, like, hey, he woke up, my cousin woke up, but the doctors say he's not there, but I don't believe it. Can we pray? So we pray. We pray for Tim's cousin. We do it weekly, over and over again. We ask, Lord, heal him, please. We know the doctors say there's no hope, but there's hope in you. And we pray and we pray. And then weeks pass. And then Tim's cousin gets like a little line. You know how they have like in the church bulletin, it's like, remember to pray for us. So Tim's cousin made it on there. But weeks pass. Weeks pass. And months pass, and nothing happens. And Tim stops coming to church. We don't, we don't see him for a while. He stops coming to the prayer meetings. He stops coming to service. And we all kind of knew that he, kinda, he fell into a depression. He fell into a depression at this time. And I'll never forget the day that I saw Tim again after that, that event. It was it was our Wednesday prayer meeting and I was there and Tim comes in and I could tell there was something different about him. There was something different about him. He comes in and he sits down and we're all sitting in a circle, you know, doing our weekly sharing, our weekly prayer requests, and Tim doesn't say anything. And then we bow our heads and we're waiting for someone to start praying. And that's when Tim starts talking. Or praying. I'm not sure what to call it, because what he was saying did not sound like a prayer. Tim started cursing at God. He was cursing God. Anything that you can think of that is offensive, that's what he was saying to God. And in the middle, we could hear him just yelling. He was angry. He was yelling, why would you do this? Why won't you heal my cousin? Why are you letting this go on? Don't you hear me? Don't you hear us? You can do this. Why won't you do this? Now all of us sitting in the circle, there was so much tension in that room because we didn't know what to do. We had never heard anyone curse God before. And clearly we knew, I mean, Our friend, Tim, was emotional, but we didn't know. Should we comfort him? Should we be like, hey, hey, Tim, stop, stop, that's enough. Should we rebuke him? You can't talk to God that way. What do you do when God gives you an answer that you don't like? And what do you do when your emotions overwhelm you? We're going to talk about that today. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you that you are in our midst. We thank you that you are Lord over this service. And Father, we thank you for all the sheep and all the people, all the disciples that you have brought together in this, in this loft in Sunset Park. Lord, we ask that you would illuminate your scriptures to us, that your spirit would speak to us. Father, I ask that they would hear you and not me, that they would notice you, Lord Jesus, and not me. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as Johnny said, we are in week three of the book of Habakkuk. And if you guys have missed the last two weeks, let me catch you up. Um, so Habakkuk is a small book. He is a prophet of God. The book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is a name, uh, like Harry. If his name was Harry, it would be the book of Harry. <laughs> but it's a book of Habakkuk. He's a prophet. God has called him to speak to his people on his behalf to speak to his people on his behalf. We think Habakkuk lived maybe 600 years before Christ. He was a prophet in the southern kingdom, so Israel had split into two. At this point, the nation of Israel had split into two. Habakkuk's down here in the south, prophesizing. So he has a book, and two weeks ago, Pastor Justin kicked us off, and what we read was Habakkuk is not a happy prophet. Uh, He's actually really frustrated in the beginning of Habakkuk's book, we read that he's complaining because he's saying, that Israel, He's talking to God and he's like, The Israelites are all sinning. I'm telling you, there's violence, there's destruction everywhere. God, why do you stay silent? He's upset because nobody's obeying God's law. Last week, Mel preached on God's response to Habakkuk and what God tells Habakkuk is that he's going to send the Chaldeans. Chaldeans is another word for Babylon, for the Babylonians. He's going to send the Chaldeans, who were known for their wickedness, known for their fearsome. They laugh at kings. They exercise violence. The Chaldeans have been taking over nation after nation. God told Habakkuk, I'm going to send the Chaldeans against Israel. And today, we're going to read what Habakkuk thinks about that. So why don't you guys open your Bibles with me, or you could take out that piece of paper. If you guys don't have one, you could raise your hand. We have ushers that can probably help you out. If you're online, I'll give you a second to open up your Bible. Habakkuk is at the end of the Old Testament. All right, so we're still in chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 12. I'm going to read this. You guys can read on your own. This is Habakkuk speaking back to God. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors? and remains silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, another word for fishing net. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings up to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk is still not happy. He's still not happy with what God just said. He's not happy with God's plan to send the Chaldeans. Now it's a little hard to follow his logic because it seems like he switched topics completely. So in the beginning of the book, he's talking about God, why won't you do something? The Israelites are sinning. Look at all this wickedness. And God says, I'm gonna do something. And Habakkuk is like, what, you're gonna do that? Why would you do that? (laughs) So I thought of an illustration because it's a little hard to connect, like his, his heart has just shifted. It's another complaint, but why? Shouldn't he be happy? Shouldn't he be like, finally, you're doing something? So I thought of an illustration. So let's pretend you're on a team. Let's say uh, you're on the New York Giants. You're Eli Manning, you're the QB <laughs> of the New York Giants, and you're really upset because none of the players, none of your teammates are showing up for practice. They're out there, they're partying all night, they're getting drunk, they're sleeping around, no one's showing up, or if they show up, they're not serious about it. So you go to your coach, and you're like, coach, I was the only one at practice last week, nobody, I had nobody to run the drills with, coach, aren't you gonna say something? And the coach comes back to you, and he goes like, all right, bet, look, listen, I'm gonna let you in on something, I'm going to let the Patriots beat them in the Super Bowl. And then you would be like, what? The Patriots? What? The cheaters? God, don't you remember Deflategate? You know, those footballs were underinflated. Yo, you're going to keep letting them cheat, win after win Super Bowl. God, God, come on. Come on. And that's, that's what Habakkuk is feeling right now, although in a much more serious way. The Chaldeans, as I mentioned, were known, known for their violence, known for taking overseas, known for no mercy. That the fact that God is going to send them against us, that, that's, that's offensive. It is overshadowing his original complaint. This is complaint number two, and this is a complaint that God, you're not making sense. You're not making sense. So now that we can connect, if you don't follow football, just know that the Patriots are not the most well-liked team um, pretty much in the country, unless you live in Boston. They're not the most well-liked team. Um, They've never beat us, though, in the Super Bowl. Um, But the idea is offensive. The idea is offensive. All right, so let's unpack what Habakkuk says, and let's see what we can learn from it. You might notice that he doesn't actually start off complaining. He he actually doesn't. He starts off bringing up uh, a characteristic of God. He says, verse 12, he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God? Everlasting, like eternal. Are you not from the very beginning, God? Habakkuk says this because he's checking. He's like, God, you know that Israel, we're your covenant people. You had chosen us. You, you specifically told Abraham, you made us to glorify you. He's checking, you're eternal, right? And if God knows that, then that's the second line that he says. He says, are you not from everlasting? We shall not die. We shall not die. Lord, you've established them for reproof, for rebuke. You ordained them as judgment. He knows that even though he's seen the Chaldeans take over all these nations, we shall not die. This isn't God's plan. This isn't God's plan. This is for judgment. This is not for annihilation. There's a pastor, he used to pastor in, in California named Francis Chan, and he used to say, there was a, a sermon I remember, he said that when he prayed to God, sometimes his thoughts would get, like, mixed up in his prayers. So he'd be praying, but he's also thinking, and he called it prinking. I think Habakkuk is... Prinking right now. He's heard something shocking and he's talking to God, but he's also processing like, wait, what does this mean? Wait, but you're eternal, so, so you're not gonna destroy us. This is just for judgment. Habakkuk's processing, and sometimes what we know about God will help us to make sense of our circumstances. It'll help us figure out what's going on, especially when something is sudden or unexpected, so I'll give you an example. So those of you that were with us, uh, I don't know if it was a year or two ago, when Zion lost our gathering space at the school, that was sudden, that, was, that happened so fast. It was like one day, we we're all having our Thanksgiving potluck, it was so awesome, events team had like come out full force his decorations, and the next day, we got that email, and I was like, yeah, we, we're not gathering there anymore. And it was really quick, and it was, it was shocking to a lot of us, because we had believed that God had called us to form this church. God had given us this space. I remember when Pastor Justin posted on Facebook just a picture of an empty auditorium, just praising God, thank you, thank you for this school, and God was blessing us. We had so much community, everyone was gathering together, and then all of a sudden, the school was gone. What does that mean? What is God doing? See, what we knew of God was that he did call us to start this church. He was moving in us, and he does call his disciples to continue making disciples, to follow Jesus in his mission. We know that about God. We know God never said, all right, make this comfy church and have a potluck every week. We know that. And because we knew that, we knew Zion was not shutting its doors. We knew it weren't over. So we started meeting in homes. People started stepping up. People were leading worship that I didn't even know could play guitar. People were speaking. When the pandemic happened, we moved to online church. And then we started preaching to a camera. And then now praise God, we have two congregations meeting weekly. See, what we knew of who God was calling us to be, what we knew of God's character was helping us figure out, all right, what does this mean? What does this mean? You know, on an individual level, for myself, I question a lot what God's purposes are for me. So if you don't know my background, I left my career to follow God into ministry. I moved, like, several hours away to the land of the patriots. I moved there, um, blew through all my savings to get a degree, come back here to serve in ministry for a few years. Then I had to stop because I had kids who apparently are not as easy as you would think them to be. So uh, there were times, I'll be honest with you, there were times where I was just crying. My husband will testify to this. I was crying because I had to like store away all my theological books, all my textbooks, all my training, everything. I spent years learning Greek and Hebrew. I had to move them all under my bed so I could make room for toys and coloring books. But because I know God, because I know God's character, I know that my work isn't done just because I became a mom. Because I know God, I know that every sphere in creation is under his sovereignty. Everything is part of his work, whether you're in the workplace or the mission field or in the baby room. See, what we know about God, our relationship with God, what we know of him through our scriptures, what we know of him through our prayers, our experiences with him, the testimonies of other people, all this, what we know about God will ground us when the circumstances seem confusing, when there's a response, when God is doing something that we don't get. What we know about God will help us make sense. But what if it doesn't? But what if it doesn't, Tiff? What if it doesn't? What if what we know about God actually confuses us? What if it frustrates us? What if it, Tiff, that all sounds nice for you, but what if it doesn't make sense? So Habakkuk, after Habakkuk accepts, all right, God, you're rebuking us. You're You're not destroying us. After that, then he starts to bring up another characteristic of God, another characteristic. Habakkuk says, Lord, your eyes, this is so poetic. Lord, your eyes are so pure that you can't even look at evil. So pure. You can't even look at evil, yet why do you look blindly on these traitors that are going to swallow up, destroy, swallow up a man more righteous than he? He's poetic, so it's a little tricky, but he's saying, God, you are so holy. That's a characteristic of God. You are so holy. Habakkuk knows this. You are so pure. He knows this because even the high priest, before the high priest goes into the tabernacle to make sacrifices, there's like a whole cleansing ritual that he has to do. He has to be clean before he goes into the presence of God. God cannot withstand evil. And yet, he's saying he's going he's to hang out with the Babylonians, who are the most wicked, sinful people on earth. And Habakkuk's confused. Habakkuk's confused. Why? I don't understand. God, you don't tolerate sin from us, but you'll tolerate sin from them. God, you you want us to follow your law, but these people who don't even follow you, you're good with them? You're gonna gonna use them? Habakkuk's upset. He's upset. See, many times, God seems contradictory to us, but many times, our perception of God does not match the true God. What do I mean by that? I mean that a lot of times we read portions of scripture that fit our understanding of God, that fit our understanding of God. We don't have a comp, we're not talking to the real God. We're talking to the God in our minds, the God that we made up. This God, for a lot of us, is what? A loving Father. <laughs> a loving Father. He, he loves us. He sent Jesus for us. He gives us victory. We sing songs to him. <laughs> It's a big love fest. A lot of us see God in this way, and that when God does something, like seemingly partner with evil, then, then we're shaken. Then we don't know what's going on, and he doesn't make sense, because the true God is fearsome. The true God is God himself. In the book of Exodus, uh, God, Moses asked God, oh, what am I supposed to tell Israel? Who sent me? And God says, I am who I am. I am who I am. God is not tied to our perceptions of him. Now, there's a theological problem for Habakkuk. In his mind, he's like, wait, you're pure. Babylonians are not. Why? What? What's going on? So he amps it up. Habakkuk's emotion, you can see, come out in verse 14. The prophets start straight up blaming God for the evil that has been occurring. He starts blaming God. He says, you make mankind. Now, we're not even talking about Israel. You make mankind. God, you make mankind like the fish of the sea without a ruler, like crawling things. You're doing this, God. You're doing this. And then he goes on to talk about how evil the Chaldeans are. How the Chaldeans are catching all the fish with a hook. How it's going into their net, how they worship the net, how they're living in indulgence and luxury, their food is rich. Why is Habakkuk saying this? So part of me thinks he's, he's, trying, to, he's trying to get an answer from God. He's almost like poking at him. You know, like Habakkuk started off with saying, why do you remain silent to you do this. You make mankind like fish. You're just, let, you're just doing this and you're letting the Chaldeans take over. I think he's provoking him and maybe you guys can relate to this when you're fighting with someone. You know, when you fight with like maybe your spouse or your best friend and you're not getting the answer you want, you'll start jabbing more, right? You'll start escalating what you're saying. I do this. I do this with my husband. So my husband, when we're fighting, he is a man who thinks before he speaks. And I hate that. <laughs> I hate that. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I am a verbal processor. If we are going to fight, we are going to fight it out. Here, there's I don't know why you're silent right now. That's that's my husband. So <laughs> So so what happens when he's silent, is, he's not saying anything, I start poking more. I start saying, well, this, you know, I start jabbing more. It starts escalating because I want him to give me an answer. And I think Habakkuk's doing the same thing. He's, he's jabbing, he's jabbing. He's like, God, no, this is, this is, not, this is, this is not right. See, there's going to be times when what we know about God will help us to make sense And there will be times when what we know about God won't make sense to us at all. It won't make sense. So to bring it back down on our level, this might be a situation where you're like, God, why does my mom have cancer? Why does my mom have cancer? She served you her entire life. She's been at church every single week since she was a baby, and yet she's suffering now. Why, God? Why? This doesn't make sense we start to question his goodness. We can question his his sense of justice and be like, God, I've been working 50, 60, 80 hours a week at this job, and this other guy who does nothing, he just got promoted. How is that fair? How is that just? God, this is not fair. God, how can you be just? See, a lot of times, God will not make sense to us. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he wrote that uh, now we see through a mirror dimly. You know how like you look in the mirror and like the lights are still off and you can't really see too much? That's kind of what it feels like. That's kind of like where we are now. We don't really get what is God doing and that can frustrate us. That can frustrate us. And one of the reasons why we, there'll be times when we don't understand God is because he's God. His nature is so different than ours. His, so the, there's a theologian named Milliard Erikson. He puts it like this. He wrote, we sometimes think of the great metaphysical gap in the universe as a gap between human race and the rest of creation. In reality, the greater metaphysical gap falls between God on one side and all else on the other. See, God seems contradictory to us, but we actually hold a lot of contradictory views about God. We hold a lot of contradictory views about God and a lot about our relation to him, our position before him. So Habakkuk says that, God, you're you're everlasting, right? You're eternal. You're from before. You know who Israel is. And yet Habakkuk Small man, not eternal, (laughs) not eternal, not with knowledge of God, somehow is demanding an answer and demanding to understand what God is doing. Why are you not doing anything? Now, why are you doing this? Habakkuk says, God, your eyes are so pure. You're holy. You can't be in the presence of sin. He knows this. But then Habakkuk is saying, you're letting up you're letting the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he. He's saying that Israel is more righteous than the Chaldeans. Habakkuk's saying God's the one who can't stand sin, but it seems like Habakkuk's the one who can judge who's more sinful. Habakkuk's talking like he's right there next to the Almighty, like, look at these people, look at us, look who's more sinful. See, we mix it up a lot, where we have knowledge of God, but we... We don't understand what that really means. What does it really mean that God is omnipotent, that he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere? What does it mean that we worship an eternal, holy God who hears us, and we would get lost if we don't have Google Maps? (laughs) What that difference, And it's not entirely our fault. It's not entirely our fault because a lot of our understanding about God comes from the scriptures, right? But the scriptures is God's effort to bridge that gap, to help us know this unknowable being. That's why the Bible is so filled with imagery and symbolism and parables and metaphors and stories. It's like, Poetry. The Bible is so filled with that because it's trying to spark our imagination to understand this God nature that we are not, that we are not. But the chasm of understanding is still so wide. I'll give you an example. Uh, This summer, I was trying to explain to my toddler what a mosquito bite was, what a mosquito bite was, because he got a huge one, like right by his eye. But my son, he's only two, his language is still developing. He's very smart, but, you know, I'm tr- it's still, it's, like, hard to explain. So I was like, all right, Abraham, sometimes, and I'm thinking, how do I explain this? Sometimes bugs like to eat us. <laughs> and, and my husband was like, well, that was, that was unnecessarily scary. <laughs> and, and I said, you know... <laughs> It's really hard because he's small. He's small. I don't even think I can explain a mosquito bite to an adult. Like, I don't know. What are they doing? So that it's Christians will always struggle in understanding God. Always. Christians will always struggle to understand God because God's nature is different than ours. So Habakkuk finishes his response, and he declares that he's going to stand at his watch post, he's going to stand on his tower, he's going to look to see what God's going to say, he's going to see, he's expectant, he's expectant that right after he just accused the God of the universe of orchestrating evil, he's like, all right, what do you got to say to that? (laughs) He's expectant, and that's really bold. Bold. That's really bold. If you talk back to your mom, you talk back to your dad, you'd probably be like, you're waiting for that punishment, right? If you're like out of emotion, you say something, you'd probably be like, he's not that. He's like, he's standing tall, he's expectant, he's waiting. And this boldness should shock us. How can Habakkuk do this? How can Habakkuk just tell off God and then be like, all right, I'm waiting for your answer? It shouldn't shock us too much because we've seen this before in Scripture. We've seen this even in creation when Adam was, there's only two people in the garden. Adam and Eve just sin, they just disobey God, and Adam has the gall to be like, yeah, the woman you gave to put, the woman you made, the woman you put here in the garden with me, she's the one that made me sin." God has been handling our back talk since the beginning. And the reason why is because God has grace to accept our emotion. See, God's very character, his patience with Habakkuk now, his patience with Israel, his patience with us, his withholding of his wrath that he would put on his son, the sacrificial lamb at the cross That's what should come out so loud and clear when we see these words Habakkuk says. Whenever we read something in scripture where someone's talking to God and we're like, no, that God's grace is overcoming that emotion. Psalm 103 says that God does not deal with us according to our sins. We deserve, we deserve it. The Lord shows compassion to those who fear him for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He remembers when he made us. He remembers when he formed Adam out of dust. He knows we are just made out of dust. So even if we forget this distance, even if we forget our position before him, God remembers. God remembers. See, Christians will always struggle with understanding God. We will. And we will be frustrated, and we will be angry, and we will ask why and how. But God will have mercy. God will have grace for us. And we have hope that he won't leave us. He will not leave us because of our lack of faith. Some of us feel a lot of shame. You know, when we doubt God, we feel a lot of shame. We don't want to talk about it to anyone. We don't want to tell our spouse. We don't want to tell the church. We love the church. We don't want to be excommunicated We have a lot of shame when we feel things about God that you're not supposed to feel. And that could have been encouraged by your church upbringing. Maybe you weren't allowed to ask questions. Maybe if you brought up something like, how could God do this? You were shut down because they're like, that's a lack of faith. Maybe that's you. So, So what can we do? I would say be honest. Be honest with God in prayer. Be honest with him, about him. You know, some of us might be like, oh, I can't say those words to God. I can't curse at God. I guarantee you, God has heard you curse him in his heart anyways. I guarantee you, whatever you're stopping yourself from saying, he already hears. He already hears. So was it right for my friend Tim to curse at God? I wouldn't recommend it. Is it right for Habakkuk to talk to God in this way? You made mankind like this. Is that is that right? It's not great. It's not great. But you know what's worse is distancing yourself from God, is breaking that relationship. And maybe that's you, maybe that's someone you know. I know people like that, where something has happened in their life, there was a tragedy. Or maybe the church hurt them. Or something happened. They, they had expectations that God was with them in some way. And then it fell flat. They don't understand. And what happens? They stop talking. They stop going to church. They stop talking to God. They break that relationship that God has opened. God has opened this channel of communication for us. God has inspired the scriptures. The author of Hebrews said we should approach the throne of grace with confidence confidence, that curtain, when Christ was sacrificed at the cross, that curtain was torn. We have access even when we want to curse at him, even when we're angry with him, even when we doubt him, when we doubt, are you really good? Are you really good? Because I don't see it in my life. God's saying, come to me because he has grace for that. He has grace for that. Mel said it last week, Pastor Justin said it two weeks ago, be real with God. You don't need to posture in front of him in a way that's not natural. You don't need to front. You know, there's been a lot of people that have said to me, like, yeah, I pray to God but I can't pray like you guys. If you prayed like someone else, God wouldn't even know who you were. <laughs> He'd be like, you know, my, my boy that grew up in the hood, he doesn't talk like this. <laughs> he doesn't talk like this. God has opened this gate through Christ. Christians are always going to struggle. It's not a sign of immature faith. Christians are always going to struggle to understand God. But in our frustration, in our emotion, in our anger... God's going to have grace for that. God's going to have grace for that. So why don't you guys pray with me? Uh, Father, we thank you that you are so much more than we can imagine, that you are so much greater than we can conceive. Lord, we thank you that you are so big and you accept us, though we are so small. Lord, we pray that the emotions that you have given us, the emotions that are generated, the confusion that arises when things don't go the way that we think you want it to go. Lord, we ask that you would help us to bring it to you. We ask that you would help us to draw near to you. Even when we feel like our emotions are sinful, Lord, we pray that you would help us not hide, help us not distance ourselves, help us not leave. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.